church. It's great to be back together to worship our God together and to study more in His Word. We have a wonderful uh, opportunity tonight to hear from Brother David Shannon. He and his wife Tracy are here with us, and his team, I'm going to let you, David, introduce your wider team to us. But just a little bit of introduction of David. Most of you know my father spent his whole life in support of Christian education at the primary and secondary level. When I was growing up, I heard stories of the great leaders of the church who believed in the next generation and who believed in scholarhood. Those men were also men of great faith who believed in the mission of New Testament Christianity. David believes in that next generation. David is a man of great scholarship, but those things would not matter if David wasn't completely committed to the mission of New Testament Christianity in our day. That's why our two boys are, have gone to uh, Freed Hardman. One is still at Freed Hardman, and it's a pleasure to have you, David, here with us to present about what's going on at the school and to share with us in the Word of God. Good evening. It is, it is great to be here with you tonight. We were here uh, last spring and uh, just really was a blessing and have so many good memories from that time together. And uh, when I found and learned that we were going to have the opportunity to be back with you tonight, uh, we were so thankful for that. And uh, just look forward to spending time with you now in worship, but even afterwards just visiting with you. And I think we're going to go out and, and eat dinner with some juniors and seniors, and we look forward to that as well. We do have several here from Freed Hardeman tonight. My wife is with me. Tracy is here. And then also our senior vice president, Dave Klaus, is in the back. And Andy Doss is on this side, and he works in advancement. And Lenore Williams, which a lot of you know, and uh, families uh, appreciate the work that she does in working in our admissions department, and she does such a good job of, of helping students learn all that they need to learn, one, to make a decision, but then two, to go through the process. And so I'm going to ask all of them to stand just for a moment so you can see them, because I want you to know where they are. Uh, and and uh, then also, wait, keep standing. Where's Dr. Bruce McClarty? There you are. Okay. He's our minister in resident, and most of you probably know that... Uh, Bruce has been in higher education for a long time, and uh, he has had a huge impact in a lot of lives. And he, at Fried Hardeman, he has continued to do that same thing, and uh, we are so grateful. I do bring you greetings from Fried Hardeman University, and uh, even from these guys. And I was, I was at a uh, devotional that uh, this particular social club invited me to come speak at Thursday evening. And uh, I left there that night, and Tracy was out of town, and, and when I talked to her, I said, you know, sometimes you just need those reminders of just really how awesome the work that you're a part of really is. I wish you could have been a part of that devotional that night uh, where young people put that devotional together. They asked me to speak on a particular theme, and, uh, and then when I said, well, how long do you want me to speak? They said, oh, 35, 40 minutes would be fine. I think about it, that's, that's the young people putting together that. And I thought, wow, back in our day, we used to say 15 minutes would be fine. And, uh, but really, they, the prayers that they had that night, one of their, one of their friends, uh, in one of the members of that particular social club, her father had passed away, and the prayers they had that night for her. And um, it just, it's just a reminder of how optimistic we should be about the Lord's church in the future because we have amazing young people that are such faithful Christians today, and the leaders that they're going to be uh, tomorrow is going to be absolutely amazing. And so I bring you greetings from a lot of good folks at, at Fried Hardeman University. And what I want to do is I, I just want to, um, as I said, I was, I was here back in the spring, so all I'll try to touch on just a few minutes is just an update of things that's happened since then. And uh, then if you want to be open your Bibles, we're going to be studying out of Second Timothy the first chapter. We may make a stop by Acts the 16th chapter very quickly on the way, but we'll look at that first paragraph in Second Timothy the first chapter. 
And, uh, but here's an update of some things that have happened since we were here last time with you. Uh, there were several capstone projects by seniors across the campus, but here's one I want to share with you because is there anybody in here that still does Wordle every day? Okay, yeah, a few. Well, be sure and jot down thywordle.com because every day, because of these two seniors that have now graduated from Freed Hardeman, there is a scripture every day, and you can go in and you can guess the scripture reference uh, just as you do with Wordle. And so it's really a, a neat opportunity you can be a part of. Also, since we have been here, we've had these four teams play in postseason national play, and they have done very well. We have uh, 15. We have 15 teams that uh, at Freed Hardeman, and 14 of them since we've been here have been named uh, a scholarly team, which means the team average GPA is 3.0 or above. And so it's neat to have that kind of uh, collegiate athlete that does well in the sport, but also does very well in academics as well. Also, we've had a lot of study abroad opportunities since the last time that we've been here. I'll mention just a couple. We've had two different trips to Israel. This particular picture here is at Shiloh where the tabernacle uh, was, and they think that's literally the location in Shiloh where the tabernacle was. And so uh, we had some of our students in the Graduate School of Theology actually went and were part of the archaeological dig there for about two weeks, and it was an amazing opportunity for them. We had some in our theater to go over, and they uh, were able to perform at the in Scotland at the Edinburgh uh, Fringe Festival, which is the largest arts and theater festival in the world, and they were able to perform four times there. And then we began in August what you expect us to do in August, and that is we began school, and it was our 154th year of higher education at that very same address. And so uh, it's pretty awesome to be a part of such a long uh, legacy of that. And uh, these are just a few pictures of some of the freshman class that came in. We have really an amazing class that has come in. Uh, they have just been so impressive. And also what is so impressive is that 83% of them are members of the Church of Christ. And so our average on campus is about, for all from freshmen to seniors, uh, is about 83% uh, that are members of the church. You know, 100% of our faculty are, 100% of our academic staff are. And uh, it just creates, like when we say Christian education, it creates an environment where the overwhelming majority are Christians. And it's just, it's just a wonderful, wonderful place uh, to be a part of. And it's not only because of the faculty, but it's also because of the amazing students that churches like you and families like you bring to us. I just want to plant a seed. If you've never thought about it this way, this is how we look at it. We want to come along beside you Christian families and beside great congregations like Westside and we just want to partner with you where you say, hey, you're looking for somewhere for your child to leave the teenage years and move into adulthood and gain an excellent education. We want to be a part of that journey and just partner with you. And so that's what we strive to do. And since we have met last time, as a matter of fact, this was the very end of August, just a few weeks ago. Uh, our hatchet investment team closed out their year. Their year end is the end of August. And uh, these uh, 12 students, they invest $1 million. And the arrow is pointing to Rob Hatchett. He is one of our young alums that provides the $1 million for them to invest. The model that they invest would be most similar to the Russell Index 1000 fund. That fund, if it closed out at the end of August, would have had an earnings for the year of a little over 8%. These students, when they closed out at the end of August, August, they closed out at over 14%. They outperformed the professionals by 70%. And not only that, it was wonderful, but also Rob Hatchett gave back a significant part of the earnings, and uh, he gave back 29000 to the College of uh, Business there at Freed Hardeman. And you can imagine whenever these young people go to apply for their first job, there is no one else that they're going to be going against uh, that has on their resume that while they were in college, they managed and led a fund of uh, investing a million dollars. It's really amazing. Also, these nursing graduates graduated in May. 
But since we've been together and since they've graduated, all of them over the summer and the beginning of August, all of them have taken the NCLEX for them to be a licensed nurse. Universities and colleges are graded on their nursing program based upon how many of these individuals pass the NCLEX on the first take. And of all of those young ladies there, and man, there's, is there a man in that group? Yeah, there is, yeah. There, there's, there's usually at least one to two men uh, for about every 15 women in, in nursing as we experience it. And so some of you guys might want to think about that opportunity to be in a cohort for several years uh, like this. It, <laughs> To me, I mean, you know, to me it sounds like a pretty good option there. And so, but here, here's what I want you to see is that of that group there, 100% pass rate first take. Now, I did some Googling on the way over just a few minutes ago to this building, so it was quick. So don't hold me to this. But the best I could find in the little state of Texas, um, I think there were three universities that had 100% pass rate in one year, this past year. There, there might be, I may have missed it, there might be three, four, five. But when I say to you they had 100%, I'm just trying to help you realize it is rare as rare can be to have multiple years of 100% pass rate. On our Henderson campus nursing, that now makes our fifth consecutive class that have had 100% pass rate. And so it's pretty awesome to see the excellence in academics. Our approach to that is any mission that touches eternity demands to be done with excellence. And it's pretty neat to see um, the achievement of these young people and the faculty and staff that lead them in that way. We're proud of our nurses. And also what we're really thankful for is just a week and a half ago, we closed out our census for this semester. And what we learned is that our retention rate from fall to fall this year hit 89%. Listen to this. If we would have had a 0.22 additional student, just one-fifth of additional student, we could have rounded that up to 90%. And, uh, and that, too, is really, really a difficult, like, if you, if you just want to rank that, look at some of the schools around and say, what's the fall-to-fall -fall retention rate? And you'll find a lot of schools that you highly respect will be in the 70s, low 70s, some in the upper 60s. There'll be some in the 80s, and they start really falling off. And, and you say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is that means that parents are, are saying year after year, we want our child to go back there. We love how our child is growing and developing. We love what's happening there. And the students are saying, we want to go back there. We love the atmosphere. We love the education that we're gaining, et cetera. And so that, that really is, is helping us kind of put your thumb on the pulse and say, hey, how's the university doing? And U.S. News and World Reports will be releasing tomorrow. We're not supposed to publicize this, so I'm not publicizing this, okay? We will put out a press release tomorrow, and none of you post this now. How's that? We'll be okay. But, but by law, at 12 o'clock tonight, we are allowed to release this. But they rank all of the universities and colleges across America every year, and they will release it officially after midnight tonight. But what we know is that they have ranked us out of the universities that are regionally graded in the South. So we're talking about hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. We rank number eight in best value where they measure the academic performance and the cost to attend after financial aid and scholarships have been awarded. And so we rank number eight, in other words, to say you can get the best education for the dollar at Freed Hardeman University. So we're really, really thankful for that. And then the Chick-fil-A that is under construction is, uh, is the ground has been broken. All of the drainage and, and the site has been prepared, and the concrete construction crew is in there right now, and we're looking forward to that being built. Here's a portion of our campus that we call home, and we just want to invite you to be with us. Mid-South Youth Camp for elementary, junior high, and middle school students. They come from all over the United States, and there are one-week sessions eight of them in June and July. We would love to have your young people there if you're looking for another week of camp to attend. If you're looking for a camp <clears throat> that is a little bit different uh, than that, uh, but it's the first week in July for junior high and high school. And uh, it is an amazing time where it's kind of like a hybrid of some of the fun activities of camp, some of the like leadership and biblical teachings of a youth seminar, and then the evenings 
keynote speakers, kind of like a youth rally. And we have to cap it every year at 975, and we turn away uh, students every year. Uh, but it is a wonderful way. They live on campus that week. They live in the dormitories. They get to meet some of our faculty. They get to meet individuals that they will end up, if they choose to attend Freed Hardeman, they, they will see each other every summer. Uh, you know, we have kids that start in like seventh grade and they come eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade. Because once they come once to this, they'll want to come back. And then uh, over half of the seniors that will be on any given year will end up coming to Freed Hardeman. So they already know several friends uh, by coming to Horizon. So it's a great spiritual week, but it's also just a great introduction to Freed Hardeman. And then our benefit dinner this year will have Phil Sims and Boomer Esiason. Any of you guys been watching football this afternoon? You saw them probably on some of the football highlights that you were watching or them reviewing the highlights and analyzing. Uh, but we, they, they will help us raise in one night a little bit over a million dollars for scholarships for our students. And so that's an important night for Freed Hardeman University. The lectureship is the first week in July the first week in February, and uh, do we have a lot of women's sessions, and of course, general audience sessions, and elders, and deacons, and youth, and everything, and it's just an amazing time. It is probably the largest lectureship in the Brotherhood that doesn't have a registration fee, and uh, so it's an amazing time. Come over and visit with us. We would love Love to see you. Visit with us afterwards if you have any questions. That's why we're here. We'd love to visit with you. When I was uh, in college, uh, I did some internships, and we strongly encourage our students still to this day uh, to be involved in internships in the summer. And so the internship that I was a part of uh, was out of state, and I lived with a Christian family, and this Christian family had several sons. And they all had summer jobs as well. And so when they got up in the mornings and everybody got up pretty early, be passing through the kitchen, the mother very graciously would kind of serve as a short order cook. You know, if he's cooking eggs, she'd say, how do you want your eggs? And, and she was just filling plates as, as guys passed through the kitchen. And at one particular moment, I was getting something out of the refrigerator. Two of her boys were already sitting at the table. Uh, one was 17, one was 13. They both were well over six feet tall. They went on, one, one went on to play NFL ball, and the other very, uh, very successful in college football. And, um, and the phone rang, and the mother answered it. And as she talked, it wasn't a long call. She ended the call. And you really could tell nothing about the call from what she said. She only gave like simple phrases, short phrases, one-word answers or, or responses. And, um, and so when she ended the call, none of us thought anything about it. She looked in the direction of her sons, but she kind of looked past them. She said the name of one of their brothers, and she said, Dustin is dead. Now, they'd already had one teenage brother to die. And so, one of them literally dropped the utensil out of his mouth. And they both chimed in together. Mom, Mom, what happened to him? How'd he die? What happened to him? Where is he? What happened? And she clarified. And she said, your brother is spiritually dead. Now they begin to loudly rebuke her. Mom, that was mean. You scared us. Why would you do that to us? We thought you meant he had really died. To which now she looks them right in the eyes. And she says, your brother has really died. Your brother is spiritually dead. I had the opportunity uh, to know this family very well. And we were riding together later that week in the car, just she and I. And I asked her, I said, you've had a son who was so strong spiritually, but due to an accident, died physically. You have a son who is so strong physically, but is not doing very well spiritually. As a parent, which one is harder? And with no hesitation, she said, oh, it's so much harder to watch my son who is dying spiritually. Because my son, who has already died physically, but is alive eternally, not only will I see him again, I will spend the rest of eternity with him. But what's hard to bear is knowing that my son now, unless he repents and returns, after this life is over, I'll never see him again. 
I want you to think about what your answer would be if someone put you on the spot, gave you a minute to think, and the question was simply this. What is the greatest challenge facing the Lord's church today? My opinion is that the greatest challenge facing the Lord's church today is several decades old. I believe that our greatest challenge facing the church today is faith after high school. It really doesn't matter what studies you look at, and I don't even want you to get locked in on specific numbers. I just want you to look at the greater concept. But somewhere around, according to the studies, 50% of our young people that grow up in the church that shortly and not many years, sometimes not even many months, but not that many years after high school graduation, they're not to be found. In other words, they are starting to die spiritually. Some have completely left, and they are dead spiritually. Do you realize that if, if next Sunday morning, everyone that grew up in the Lord's church came to church with their family, there wouldn't be a Church of Christ building across the U.S. that would be able to hold the attendance. I mean, it's mind-boggling to think. I know this room is full of individuals that loves the Lord and loves telling others about the Lord, and you believe in the importance of evangelism. I do too. But I want you to realize that one of the very, very important aspects of soul winning in the Lord's church is just that. Let's make sure that we're able to bring the next generation along with us into their adulthood faithfully serving the Lord. Listen, it's not a light challenge. It's great. I don't know exactly all the reasons why between about 18 to 24 to 25 years of age, it is so hard to be a Christian in North America, but statistically, those would be the hardest years for us to be Christians. And so I, I want you to think about what would be the burden in your heart if we lined your young people up tonight and we counted them off, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two, and then we said, shortly after 18 years of age, all the twos will be dead. Would you want clarification? Would you say, do, do you mean physically dead or spiritually dead? And my response back to you would be, which one would bother you the most? If you really did go to several funerals every year of 18, 19, 20-year-olds that grew up right here with you, how many funerals would you have to attend before you would shake the fist in anger and say, somebody has to do something about this? We cannot just sit by year after year after year. How many families would say, we've had enough loss in our family. We have to do something about this. Well, spiritually it's been happening. And so I hope tonight you can share the burden in your heart, the outcry that says we need to do something about this. And it very well may be that there are things corporately you can do together, and I would be all for any of those. I've been a part of a lot of those meetings and planning sessions and mentoring programs, asking people to pray specifically for names for the next year as, as these young people graduate from high school. I've been a part where we went all the way back to sixth grade and we planned Sunday and Wednesday night curriculum to develop faith strong enough that whenever they graduate from high school, the goal would be they would be strong enough to go into the military, into the workforce, and into college and remain faithful. Look, anything like that we can do, let's do it. But that's not what tonight's lesson's about. Tonight, instead, what I'd like for us to do is think about personally. What, as an individual, can you do? I don't know of a better example of someone who made a lasting impact upon young people's lives than the Apostle Paul. And so tonight, I want to invite you in to just a quick introduction of Paul and Timothy and then going to the very end of Paul's life. And I just want us, what I want to throw out to you something to think about. I want us to learn Scripture. It's truth, and it's the most convicting. But as we do this, here's what I want you to think about. 
What we're offering tonight to think about is not something you can do with, with hundreds of kids. You as an individual, maybe you can only do this with four or five or six kids because what we're saying is you start a relationship with them while they're teenagers and maybe even while they're in junior high and you have a commitment to yourself and to your God, I'm staying with this person for life. I'm never going to not be in their life. And your main concern is for the most important essence and part of that little person. And that is their soul and their relationship with God and their faith. And so what would that look like? Go with me uh, in Acts the 16th chapter, and then we're going right over to Timothy. But in Acts the 16th chapter, this is the beginning of the second missionary journey, and we are assuming that this is most likely the, the point in time that uh, Paul first met Timothy. There's a chance that he could have met Timothy uh, on the first missionary journey, but we don't know of that, and, and so just assume that maybe this is the first time they met. So Paul comes in in Acts 16, chapter and verse 1, he came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple, isn't that a neat description of a young man, uh, of most likely a teenager, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, so his mother was a faithful Christian, but his father was Greek, and because it ends there and through the rest of scriptures, we assume that he grew up in a family where the faith that Timothy shared uh, and lived out was not shared with his father. And so just think about that dynamic in, in his life. But notice the church family that surrounded him in verse 2. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. And then notice that first part in verse 3. Paul wanted to have him to go on with him. Now, I want you uh, to, to think with me for a moment, and I like to visualize text like this to think about what would it look like lived out. And so we've read the text, so you visualize it however you see it. Maybe this was before or after a time that they had been together studying. Uh, maybe, they, maybe it was a worship, or maybe it was just a day where they got together, as, as oftentimes in their tradition in Judaism, they would get together in synagogues and study. And I picture this as a time, though apparently this was informal. I, I imagine Timothy walking by and, and here is the, the uh, visiting missionary there. Here's some of the congregation standing around. And verse 2 says, they spoke well of him. So what did it sound like? Hey, hey, Paul, Paul, you see that young man walking there? Wow, his name's Timothy. Hey, he looks young, but when he makes comments, when we study the Bible together, you ought to hear him. That young man knows the scriptures. His mother and grandmother have taught him since he was young. Or maybe it was, you wouldn't believe how, how he treats his grandmother and, and his grandmother's friends. He's, he's always available to help the widows. You wouldn't believe how he invites the other young people in this community that are his age and the way he talks to them about being a disciple of Jesus. Look, I don't know what the compliments were, but that day, Paul heard a church family speak highly of a teenager. And the result was, Paul looked at him and thought, I want him. Like, let that build up meaning to you. How awesome is it when you're a young person and you're wanted? Somebody wants you. They want to get to know you. They want to invest in you. They want to have a real relationship with you. They want to help you learn the ministry that they're passionate about. They want to help you learn even more about the Lord. They want to walk with you as you grow and develop. Listen, Timothy already had great faith the way this is described. Timothy already had faithful people in his life. 
But that's probably safe to say that after this day, Timothy's life was never going to be exactly the same because Paul was going to take him in as one of his own children, and he was going to nurture him. And imagine having a Bible question and being able to turn around to the Apostle Paul like a, like a child asking a father, hey, can you explain this to me better? Imagine all the missionary experiences they had as they traveled along, and Paul explained why we do this and why we don't do that and how we handle challenges. What do we do when the Spirit closes the door where we want to go? How do we know when the Spirit opens the door where we need to go? Imagine everything that he learned from this relationship that started with a man saying, I want him to go with me on this mission trip. They weren't related by any blood other than the blood of Jesus Christ. And you know, they walked through the rest of Paul's life together. They experienced so much. And one day, 2 Timothy, one day, one day, Timothy got a letter in the mail. And in that letter, he probably would have been excited to unroll it and see that it had been identified that it was a letter by Paul. And... He tells who he's talking to in verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved child. Now notice, there he's not talking to him as a brother in Christ, because if he was, he would have called him my beloved brother. There he calls him my child, my beloved son, other translations would say. And so there we see that relationship. And as you think about their relationship, we'll read uh, there in verse 3, but I want you to notice especially the end of 3 and 4, and I want you to think about the relationship that they have. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Now, Think about how genuine that relationship is. As I said to you before, I'm all for any programs that we can have as a church family that encourages young people, but I want you to see how this is different. This is different. Here's someone that's not related to him by blood, and, and what we just read in Acts 16, it would have been like Timothy was a teenager, and, and Paul would have been like the middle age guy, even though they wouldn't have called it that way in their day and time because their lifespans were so short. Now what we're reading, Timothy now has become the middle-aged guy. And Paul now is the aged. And he writes a letter to him, and he's not related to him by blood. And what does he say? I can't get you off my mind. Night and day. In other words, all the time, you're on my mind. And it's causing me to pray for you all the time. Paul, what did you pray about? I've been praying about what you have been crying about. Okay, so let's, let's think about this, and I'll start on my toes, and we'll work our way back. How's that sound? I wonder if there's anybody in this room that over the last month, you've been praying all through the day for a young person. In other words, someone not in your season of life. They're not in your physical, biological family. And you can't get them off your mind, and you've been praying for them night and day, all the time, about what they have been crying about. And we see all kinds of problems with that, right? The first thing we would say is, how am I supposed to know what they've been crying about? And then we hear ourselves say that, and we see there's a real problem there. Because what are we supposed to be? You know, there are various metaphors that, that the Lord uses to describe the church, and all of them are usually to help us see just one or two things. Like when we see that we're called the body, and every member is an important part of one body, and then we break that down in 1 Corinthians 12, and, and we see we see how everybody has value, but how we work together as one and all that. And, and then like we, we see this, this group called the, the flock of God, 
And, and we're like, I understand that. We're the sheep, and we have one great shepherd, and we follow him, and, and we need his lead. Okay, what do you think God is wanting us to understand when he says, I want you to see yourselves as the household of God? When they came to Jesus and said, teach us to pray, and he said, our Father who art in heaven. And how many times do we see in scriptures, especially in Acts, that we are called brethren, what does God want us to do? What's he, how does he want us to function? He wants us to be family. And what are he healthy families, how, what's the dynamic? And what do they experience in that? It's generations, intergenerations. Healthy families have those that are like grandparents and parents, and children, and young children, newborns, and in healthy families, they know each other, and they care for each other. What if you came up to me afterwards and you said, hey, uh, David, do you have any grandchildren? And I say, yeah, I, I do have a few grandchildren. And you say, well, how many? And I say, well, maybe four or five, maybe six or seven. But yeah, I have a few. Um, what's their names? Names? I mean, you realize they're about 50 years younger than me. Why, why do you think I would know their names? And, and, and imagine then, you said, I, I suppose you wouldn't know any of their interests. Yeah, you're right. Why would I know their interests? I mean, we have nothing in common. You would walk away and and the next person you saw, you'd motion back and be like, he's crazy. You'd walk away and you would say, their family is dysfunctional. Because if a healthy family, there is a love that moves throughout the generations in a beautiful way. You want to get tied up longer than you want to be tied up talking to somebody? Ask them about their grandchildren. But do we do that in the church? Do we do that in God's family? And if not, why not? And if not, do you think that has anything to do with us losing about 50% of our young people? What if we lined our young people up again? And what if we said, we just put our hand over one of the young people and we said, this young person... How many of you that aren't related by blood to this young person, how many of you have a close, close relationship and you know what's going on in their life? Would there be at least four, five, six hands? We went to the next one. Would there be several hands that go up? Would you know what they're crying about? Here we are near the beginning of a school year. Do you know what your children in this congregation are going through at school? And if not, why not? And so we see the genuine relationship that they have, and, and it's a beautiful example of what we all ought to have. But I want you to notice that Paul, the focus was, of course, on the person, but it wasn't just about their life here. It was about their life for eternity. Notice verse 5. It was about his faith. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, your mother Eunice, and I, now I'm sure it dwells in you as well. Now, what is he trying to say here? Is he just giving a report of faith? I know how faithful your grandmother was and how faithful your mother is. And, and listen, I'm sure you have that same faith. And let me just throw this out now, and then you see as we read on if, if you agree with this or not. I think what he's doing here is because he knows what... Timothy has been crying about? My guess is that at this point, Timothy is probably going through a little bit tougher time. His, his faith, you know, like all of us, when we look at our faith and there's times we're on a mountaintop and there's times when we're in a valley. My guess is if we could ask Timothy right now, hey, when you received this letter, were you on the mountaintop or were you in the valley? My guess is he would say, I was in a pretty deep valley there. I'm not saying Timothy had 
lost the faith. I'm not saying he had left the faith. I'm just saying the way this is written in the next few verses, Timothy was going through a little bit. And you know what you need when you're going through a tough time? You need someone that's older than you, that you know and love like a parent that can believe in you and say, listen, right now you may not be believing in yourself so much, but you know what? I want you to know I believe in you. Have you ever had a time in your life where, where you didn't know really how things were, but when someone that you respected that was older than you told you, hey, you're going to make it. You're going to do all right. Let me give you a little bit of advice. It's like a burden lifted that, okay, I can do this. We can do this. This is beautiful. I remember when Tracy and I, uh, we, got, we got married pretty young. We had babies pretty quickly. And uh, just to give you a little quick mindset, I grew up on a farm, and I grew up that you didn't borrow money, and, and you worked hard, and all of that kind of mentality. And so I was taught as a child growing up, you make money, you put a little bit, first you give back to God, you put a little bit in savings, and you live off the rest. Well, with two new babies... I was having a hard time with the savings part. And I was starting to feel really guilty. And, and I was, uh, it was discouraging me a lot. And I didn't live near my parents then. One day when my parents were visiting us and visiting their grandchildren, Dad and I were riding together, and I said, you know, it was that, it was that moment that he didn't know how heavy it was on me. And I said, Dad... You know, trying to get started and trying to have a few, take care of a few babies and buy all the diapers and pay the bills. I said, you know, by the time I give to the Lord and I pay everything else, I'm just barely breaking even. Like, I, I feel really bad that that's all I can do. And I remember my dad looking over and smiling and saying, son, if you can pay the bills right now, and of course he was always a strong proponent of giving back to the Lord first. You can get back to the Lord first and you can pay the bills. I'd say you're doing all right right now. He said, let me tell you what's going to happen, son. I want you to think about this. It's what young people need. They need somebody that can see around the bend in the river. He's walked that path. I hadn't walked that path. And he said, son, let me tell you what's going to happen. Over the next few years, you're going to get us some raises that you don't know about. And things are going to shift, and it's going to become easier than what you know now. So what you need to do is you just need to keep doing exactly what you're doing. And then when that opportunity comes, you go back to saving like you need to save. Listen, I can't tell you, I can't explain to you the burden that was lifted off of me that day. But you know what else happened? Exactly what he said happened. How did he know that? You know that 19 and 20-year-old right now that's struggling? You know something they don't know. Are you going to be there to share that with them? And here's the problem. If you've never had a relationship with them before, it's kind of hard to start now. And it's so important for us to start when they're in junior high and high school and form the real relationship. Have coffee with them have a meal with them, to invite them to whatever you do in ministry just because, like Paul, you want them. And then whenever life gets hard, you've purchased the capital. You've created the arena in that relationship to enter in and say what needs to be said. It doesn't mean because you're their friend that you don't have the hard conversations. It is because you are their friend you can have the hard conversations. So notice what he does, and we'll wrap this up. Notice what he does in 6. He continues with a hard conversation. For this reason, I remand you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Remember, he is a middle-aged preacher right now. And his spiritual-like father is saying, you know, son, you need to fan the flame. In other words, I've seen you at times where you were zealous, and I see you right now 
and you're not nearly as zealous as what you were. I can't do it for you, or I'd do it for you, but I can remind you, fan the flame. And by the way, son, you can't say you don't have the gift. God used me to lay the hands on you. We saw you receive the gift. And then notice the very next verse. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Why was Timothy not zealous like he should have been? Apparently, it was because of fear. All of us have been there. All of us have had times where we know we should be doing something, and it's fear that's stopping us from doing it. And so he gives him that sobering reminder that kind of fear does not come from God. What God provides is power that's greater than anything we face. What God provides is love. And there is nothing more powerful than the love of God. And what God provides is self-control or a sober mind. In other words, God will give us direction. If we will lean upon Him, He will make straight our paths. And so we think about the opportunities that we have if we don't let fear paralyze us. Paul had purchased the capital to write remarks there that were very, very straightforward. And then you say, I wonder what Timothy was afraid of. Wouldn't it be neat if we could know? I think the very next verse tells us what he was afraid of. Anytime you have the word therefore, it ties together what has been said with what is about to be said. So he's talking about the lack of zeal, and he's talking about the fear, and, and he says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the sufferings for the gospel by the power of God. Have you ever had a time in your life where, where you are right now, five years before, you'd have said, oh, I will never do that. I will never become that person. And maybe you found yourself looking yourself in the mirror and saying, I can't believe I've become that person. I want you to play with me that little illustration as it relates here to Timothy. He got this letter this day. What if we could have gone back in Timothy's life five years before, and we said, Timothy, can I ask you a couple of questions? Sure. First question I want to ask you is, would you ever be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord? And Timothy would have probably said, that's an interesting question. I don't know why you'd ask me that. Apparently, you don't know like who I am and what I do every day. I am a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I even travel around to other places and do that. I wake up every day looking for someone to tell them about the testimony of our Lord Jesus. So, great question, but no, I, I don't think there will ever be a time in my life where I will be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord. Okay, can I ask you one more question? Would you ever be ashamed of the suffering that the Apostle Paul would go through? Well, again, I don't know if you know me very well, and I don't know if you know the relationship Paul and I have. When I tell you he is like my father, I'm telling you he's like a spiritual father to me. We are so close. I cannot imagine any situation where I would ever be ashamed of the Apostle Paul. Okay. Now let's come five years, and let's stand at the day that Timothy got mail. And he starts reading in the letter. First, he probably was excited, right? I, I got mail from Paul. Oh, look, he called, me, he called me a beloved child, a beloved son. Oh, he's been thinking about me all the time and praying. And he's been praying about what I've been crying about. And, wow, he thinks I have the faith that I can be strong through all this. But he does. He does know I'm not zealous as I once was. And he, he's calling me out on it. He's telling me I'm letting fear operate and hinder me. Oh, wow. He's even begging me to not be ashamed 
of the testimony of our Lord. And he's, he's asking me not to be ashamed of him and his suffering. I can't imagine how many times Timothy went back and read that and reread it. And probably shed tears over it. But what if today you and I had the opportunity to talk with Timothy and say, you know that letter you received that day? What difference did it make in your life? Would Timothy say, oh, you don't know how much I needed that. You don't know how much it hurt to read it, but you don't know how much I needed it. You don't understand the confidence it gave me, but also the conviction that I am going to be faithful. It doesn't matter even when they take Paul's life. Because remember the fourth chapter? He's now ready to be offered. Time is departure at hand. He's going to die soon. And I am going to remain faithful no matter what happens to Paul. I'm not going to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. No matter what happens to Paul or to me, I am going to be faithful. Look, I don't know just like you don't know. How critical was that first paragraph of that letter? But I can imagine likelihood very critical. And how many of our young people get letters How many of our young people get notes? I read a quote years ago. Can't identify who wrote it. It's simple, and it says this. I was not saved to walk this way alone. The truth is, none of us would make it very far in Christianity alone, in isolation. We're saved to be brought into a family that knows each other and loves each other and walks through this life into eternity together. And so tonight, the challenge that I offer to you and to myself is obvious. Let's love our young people. Let's get to know them. You pick out a few and you journey with them through every transition of life until one of you passes away. But also, as we're about to sing a song of invitation and a song of encouragement, I want you to think about, pull back a little bit on this, and think about how beautiful it is what we've just talked about tonight. We're a part of a family that when we live in this family the way God has designed, it's the most beautiful family on earth. It's a family where people truly love and care for each other. It's the family that's going to live together now and all through eternity. And so as we sing this song of encouragement, I want you to think about the fact we are literally encouraging each other to think about your relationship with God, to think about your relationship with God's people. And if something is not right, this is one really good opportunity to say, I want to make it right right now with my God. Your church family would love to pray with you and for you if you need to confess sins and pray forgiveness. Maybe you're not a part of God's family. And tonight, as a believer, you're willing to repent of sins and confess before others, not be ashamed of the Lord, but stand up for the Lord. And you're ready to be baptized, immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins, to be raised into a new life that involves being adopted into God's family. And you too can be a part of the recipient of that love and distributing that love. Tonight, let's leave here with a passion to take all of us home together to be with the Lord. If we can help in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.